Well, as you guys know, in Philippians, Paul's in prison and he's writing a thank you letter to the Philippians, mainly for their financial gift for helping him. He'll mention in chapter four. But he also is using this opportunity to write a letter that would go to all the churches. And really, uh, this little letter can be broken down into an acronym, JOY. Jesus, then others, then you. That's how you have joy in your life. When you get Jesus first, seek him first, his kingdom and his righteousness. Love the Lord first with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then others' interests before your interests, seeing everybody as more important than yourself, and then last, yourself. That's the, the key to joy. He uses that word rejoice 14 times in these little four chapters. And he has been talking up to this point about justification and just laying it down thick, how Salvation is a gift of God. It's by faith alone. It's not of yourself. It's not of your works. It's a gift from God. And he has said it every which way he can. And last week, we saw for the last time him saying it. And we're going to look just by remembering those last three verses, verse 7 through 9, we looked at last time. But what things were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. Remember, he said, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised eighth day, gives all of this religious pedigree. And then he says, I count it as loss. Matter of fact, he says in verse eight, I count it as dung. And in verse eight, yes, indeed, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. I got to let go of all my own righteousness, let go of all of my own works to try to get God to accept me and, and get me in heaven. Please, God, I'll fast more. I'll give more. I'll pray more. I'll, I'll be more humble. I'll be less sinful. You know, I'm trying to gain heaven. I gave up on that. I count it all as rubbish that I just may gain Christ. And here's the key in verse 9 and be found in him. When we say, Lord, I believe in you to be my savior, his Holy Spirit comes into us. But John 17 says, we actually go into him. I don't understand this. But he said, as Jesus said, Father, as I am in you and you are in me, that they would be in us as well as us in them. Jesus does not see us separated from himself. And then in verse 9, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. Sometimes it's the Old Testament law. Sometimes it's a law you make up yourself. You know, you, you, you get your own little sets in your mind. Okay, that's lusting, that's greedy, that's angry. I'm going to set these rules, and if I accomplish these laws that I made up, I'll feel good about myself that I'm a Christian. But if I fail those rules, then I'll feel bad about myself. Yeah, whether man-made laws or, or laws of the Old Testament, either none of them will save us. But that which is through, here it is, faith in Christ. Faith in Christ alone. The righteousness which is from God, as a gift from God. There's only one way to get it, by faith. By faith alone. 
So now he's settling this question. Guys, I know that I'm in Christ. I know I'm going to heaven. I know that I'm righteous because Jesus made me righteous. But a lot of people, unfortunately, say that's all there is to Christianity. So I'll go to church three times a year and I'll read the Bible and pray for our food and supper. And because I'm going to heaven, that's that's all I'm in for Christianity for is just to make sure when I die, I go to heaven. As long as that's taken care of, I don't care about any of the rest of Christianity. And evidently, the church in Philippi was sluggish, very much settling with that kind of mentality. You said I'm going to heaven, so why would I do anything more um, for God? Why would I want to know anything more about the Bible? Why would I want to do anything more? And so Paul's going to settle that question. Save, sign, sell, deliver, going to heaven when I die. But he says there's more and I want more. Notice in verse 10 today. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Whoa, I didn't expect Paul to say those things. Now, it's a couple of things you need to know in the Greek. The word gnosko here is not knowing something intellectually, but it's knowing it by experiencing it, right? I, I'm not, you're not telling me what your, uh, your experience eating chocolate was, and I've never tasted chocolate. It's, it's good enough. I, I've read the definition out of the Wikipedia's page on, on what chocolate's all about, and, 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 uh, and you've told me your experience. That's, that's all I need to know. No, I want to experience chocolate by eating it myself. So Paul is saying here, I want to know Christ. I want to know his sufferings. And I even want to know what it's like to commit my life into the hands of the Father unto death. Just like Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I want to know Jesus intimately as my friend, my brother, my shepherd, my savior. The list can go on. So, you know, I, I know my neighbors on my block. I've lived there about a year and a half now. And I wave to them and we've talked a little bit. So I know a little bit about their life, but Pretty much, you know, people drive in, park, go in their house, and you never see them until they come out and take drive off, right? It's a sad story. It's not the way it was when I grew up as a kid. Everybody knew everybody. The kids in the neighborhood just opened our front door and came in and said, hey, <laughs> didn't matter if we were eating dinner or not. Okay, as soon as they're done eating, tell them to come outside. We're planning to play baseball or whatever. Uh, everybody knew everybody. Everybody was in everybody's business. I mean, the neighbors would spank you. Um, because they were like your own kids. But I know my neighbors in, in a level. I, I've, in the last year and a half that I've been here, I've got to know Dennis and Kirk, our elders and deacons, and, and I know them to another level. And the time we spend together, you get to know them a little bit more. Then I've had friends since college. I've known them since 40 years. Most of them are Calvary pastors or Calvary Chapel missionaries. And, and we have gone through hell and high water together. We've gone through many fires and many floods. And, uh, and all of those things of difficulty really band the brothers together, right, in battle. And I, and I know them at another level. And, of course, my parents 
and my kids, or excuse me, my siblings. I know them at another level. And really, as decades go by and they're spread out all over the country, you, you seem to know them less because you're not in the same neighborhood, which is a sad thing. And uh, again, when I grew up, everybody stayed in the same little town. Um, whatever you did for a living, you did it there. And uh, all the uncles and aunts and cousins all lived uh, in a relatively close area. But, uh, you know, as far as living across the street from your in-laws, like uh, everybody loves Raymond, not a good idea. <laughs> but, but know them, but not too close. And then, of course, I know my own kids at another level. I've changed their diapers and and spent decades uh, raising them. And of course, as they get older, they appreciate more what parents have done for them. And when they have their own kids, then they really like, how did you, why didn't you kill me when I was, you know, two years old? And it's like, yeah, believe me, we felt like it at times, just like you feel like it towards your kids, but you'll get past it. Terrible twos will be over and it'll be a new challenge. But you look back going, wow, my parents really love me after I'm having to put up with my kids with this. And then, of course, my wife. I know her at a whole nother level. And she knows me. And it's probably the most uh, intimate, deep experience I'll have on earth. And, uh, oh, I'm just so blessed. And, and, and she, you know, we just love each other. But at the same time, I, I honestly do feel that my love for Jesus my hunger for Jesus, my passion for Jesus is far greater than that even towards my wife. I, I know he knows me intimately and he knows things about me that my wife doesn't know. He knows things about me I don't even know about myself, right? I mean, we're often not completely honest, but God knows everything. And Paul is saying here, I'm hungering to know him more, to live life the way Jesus lived life. I truly want to know what it's like to take up that cross daily and follow Jesus, to lose my life in this world, and then to gain it in rewards in the life to come. And Jesus, man, he served and served and served. I couldn't imagine taking the little boy's loaves couple of fish and a couple of loaves. How many times you got to break those to fill up a basket? And then that basket be carried to 5,000 men plus women and children. How many times do you got to break? Now, I, I used to fold the bulletins for our church when it was small, the Calvary Chapel, San Diego, when I first pastored there. And when it got up to about 500 bulletins, man, I'd be there folding them and oh, I'd be hurting and couldn't do them all in one time because I, you know, oh, my muscles would tighten up. I, I'm a wimp. And, uh, but I, I, I remember doing that thinking, Jesus, how did you break 5,000 for 5,000 men plus women and children, loaves and fishes and filling up so many baskets till everybody's well fed, washing the apostles' feet, giving himself in such an amazing way. Paul says, I want to live as Christ. I don't care what the cost, I want to live for him. And it's not for my performance. It's not for me to be impressed in my spirituality as I did when I was trying to gain my salvation through my works and being self-righteous. 
All the works I do, I, it's not for salvation. It's not for God to like me more or love me more or not blackball me or not to reject me. It's all simply because I love God so much. He died for me, and now I want to die daily for him. And I want to know the depths of that out of a love for him because he has loved me so graciously. I have a passion in my spirit to know Jesus more. David, a man after God's own heart, he had such a passion, didn't he? couple of examples in Psalm 84, verse 1 and 2. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord host. My soul longs, just even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Boy, can you hear the passion, the depths in that? Psalm 27, 4. One thing I've desired of the Lord that I will seek to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. I just want to give my life seeking the Lord and being in his presence and living for him. David Guzik says this, this was a simple plea of Paul's heart. It was a plea unknown to the legalist who is necessarily focused on his own performance and status to find some kind of peace with God. Paul just wanted Jesus. And he wanted the same power. The greatest moment on earth wasn't when Jesus healed the sick or walked on the water. The greatest moment of power on earth was when Jesus raised from the dead. And Paul says... Jesus lived daily with that resurrection power. That's why he said, I lay my life down, nobody takes it from me, and I rise it up again. The Father's giving me such power. And Paul says, I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to raise from the dead when I get to heaven, but Jesus had that resurrection power every day. And so the day that he raised from the dead, he wasn't like, "Woo, boy, that was some power. I never had that before. It was the same power he had every day. It just finally culminated in that moment. And Paul says, I want to gnosko, intimately know by experience that power, that power of the resurrection Weist, in his commentary, says this. He wants to know in an experiential way the power of Christ's resurrection. That is, he wants to experience the same power that raised Christ from the dead, surging through his own being, overcoming sin in his life, and producing the Christian graces. <laughs> he wants to have an intimate fellowship. The word fellowship, koinonia, communion, it's the same word. Paul says, I want to have this communion. I think the, the one I like the best is partnership. I want to have the fellowship, the partnership, the communion, the intimacy of what? His sufferings. I want to know intimately his sufferings. And I want to know intimately what it meant for Jesus to be conformed to his death. Paul says, I die daily because he saw that in Christ. He died daily few important notes on this subject. We would like to think 
that this is a multiple choice deal. <laughs> As in, would you like the power or would you like the suffering? Oh, I'd like the power, not the suffering. It's not possible to have a multiple choice. It's both. We truly come to know Jesus when we learn to experience both suffering and then the resurrection power. Another note, death and suffering go hand in hand. That is why he called death and suffering. (laughs) You don't get the resurrection until you first have Gethsemane and go to Calvary. So often Christians want the power without the suffering. And because believers shy away from the suffering, this is why they often do not get the power I don't mean that we go out and look for suffering. I need to figure out a way I can suffer for Christ. No, it's going to come your way. Trust me. You don't got to go looking for it. But as you live on an on-fire Christian and you're the light of the world, you're going to get slapped down by Satan, aren't you? Satan doesn't like the light to shine. Often people aren't experiencing spiritual battle just simply because they have subconsciously been trained by the devil to keep it turned down low, right? It's like wearing the, the, the mega hat to a Democratic, uh, to a Democrat uh, national convention. I, I put your, hide your mega hat, right? That's the world. The world is, is people that are offended by God, offended by Christianity, and more so every day as we're heading towards the second coming of Christ, that the rapture is on its way. We're going to continue to sense that. In other words, you want to stand up for Christ, we're not letting you into our college. You're going to be a bold Christian, we're firing you from this job. The whole whole block is having a a block party, but you're not coming. (laughs) You start getting that rejection, that hurts. Rejection hurts. And it's not always out and out. Well, don't uh, come here, Christian. No, it's always a little more subtle, isn't it? Just enough to cut you by a thousand cuts. But the fact is, is when we stand for Christ and are a light and the salt to the world, there will be suffering. Paul says it in Galatians, because I preach Christ, I can prove to you I preach Christ and grace alone, not circumcision, not the law, but grace alone by faith. I can tell you, I can prove to you I've done that. Let me take off my shirt and look at the scars in my body. That's how you can prove I taught the truth of Christ. My scars in my body bear witness to that. Paul says it so clearly in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 through 12. But we have this treasure and earthen vessel, that's our human body, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed. Man, I can't figure this one out. But we're not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Here it is. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live always are delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is working in us, that life would be in you. Paul understands 
that as I live for Christ, the suffering comes and I need to allow that suffering to come. And there's going to be great rewards in heaven. Paul says in Romans 8, 16 and 17, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirits. We are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If or since, the word if can be translated since. I think that's better often in the New Testament. Since indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Great reward in heaven. As Paul says, I am dying to myself that I can live for Christ. I'm taking up a cross so I can follow Christ. And suffering is happening as he's sitting in the prison right now for proclaiming Christ. He's in the Roman prison. He says, I'm embracing it. Just like my Lord Jesus embraced it. Well, moving on to Philippians chapter 3, verse 11. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is not saying, so hopefully I go to heaven. <laughs> that is, this verse is not saying that. I know it could imply that in the English, but in the Greek it has no such meaning. Paul's not crossing his fingers going, I hope I make it to heaven. If I really suffer, then I can know that I make it to heaven. No. He is saying this, that I, there's no doubt in my salvation. I'm going to heaven. But I am afraid that I won't have the resurrection power in my life until I go to heaven. So we're all going to have the resurrection power at the moment we die and go to heaven. And in heaven, we'll have such power in our new bodies, being with the Lord. But Paul is saying, right now, while I'm on earth, I want to attain to that resurrection power when I'm living my life, that everybody is more important than myself, everybody's interest is more important than my interest, that I am being a bold witness when I know it's going to cause suffering if I tell people what Christ would say or God is thinking or their need to repent or their uh, offer them to, to share with them how to have eternal life and to share the gospel with them. I, I know the moment I open that door, there's going to be some serious pushback. And if I don't get it from man, I am going to get it from the devil. So often Christians aren't experiencing pressure from the devil because they're putting no pressure on the dark kingdom that he rules over. But the moment you get on the front lines and start speaking the truth, of God, whether that's the gospel or the issue of homosexuality or transgenderism now or the, the CRT, uh, critical race theory, you get in the face and say, this is an apostate thought against Christianity, against God. It's an assault. This is a part of the spirit of the Antichrist who's going to take over the whole world very soon. I'm telling you that you need to repent now and turn away from such demonic things, from such lies. The church I grew up in that I, that I love, a, a denominational church, is going through a split right now. Very, it was a Wesleyan church, very conservative. The universities have always been a bit liberal. But basically now, 
the majority of the churches nationwide want homosexual weddings in the church and to be open to even having homosexual pastors. I remember telling my father-in-law, who was a pastor in this denomination years ago, I said, yeah, you guys don't believe the Bible's the word of God. You believe some of it's true, some of it's not true. It's, it's only a matter of time. He's like, never in a million years, it will never happen. And I'm like, it's, it's on the wall. So right now, there's a very small remnant, unbelievable. There's a pretty large denomination, but it's unbelievable. But we saw it in the United Methodist Church, right? We've seen it in the Episcopal Church. And again, anybody wants to stand up against the flow. The flow is going that way. And you know what happens when you, you, just, you just say, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and just go with the flow. They won't know. There's a peace. It's a peace of the world. It's not the peace that God gives. But just to fly under the radar, duck and cover, <laughs> let everybody else fight, and I'm just going to hide out and say nothing and do nothing because I don't want the suffering that would come, the rejection that would come. Well, Paul is saying, I, I, that's my fear as well. My, my concern is that I, I don't stay in the fight. My concern is that I begin to back off because I'm, I don't want the pain. I don't want the suffering. But he's saying, no, no. I am longing now to have the resurrection power. I want to attain to that resurrection power. I long to have that resurrection power right now while I'm sitting in this prison witnessing to these Roman soldiers. And I wonder if Paul was just getting knocked down by these Roman soldiers. But we know at the end of the book of Romans that virtually not only did the soldiers, was there a revival in the soldiers, but in Nero's own personal bodyguard. And not only that, but everybody who worked in Nero's house Paul, being under house arrest in Rome, the entire Nero's world under him <laughs> became Christians. And we know how he was affected by that, right? He ended up going on a rampage, killing Christians, using, putting them on a stake and setting them on fire to light up the, his backyard, killing them in horrific ways. He was very angry at that, but Paul had the resurrection power. Well, going on to verse 12. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. There no doubt was a group of people at Paul's time that believed Paul was perfect. I, I've never seen Paul do anything but, but perfection. And Paul says himself, he's going to say it in this letter, as a matter of fact, I, I am a very good example. If you follow my example, the peace of God will be on you. But he's making it clear here, no way. It may not be obvious to you, but I'm a sinner. You may not have seen it, but I have seen it. I am not perfect. Nobody gets perfect until we get in heaven, right? Important note, because some people believe we can't be perfect. But no, we, we can come close to walking with Christ, but not perfectly ever. But then notice the next word. I press on that I may lay hold of what Christ Jesus lay hold of me. I press on. This word could not be stronger. It literally means I'm fighting. I'm running as fast as I can to grab a hold of this. 
This word press on, it would be like the picture of a lion catching a gazelle. You know, does the lion catch the gazelle and go, tag, you're it, and then run away from the... What does he do when he gets the gazelle? He just possesses it and drags it right into the ground and just bites on it until its life is gone and then takes a little break before he starts munching. This is that word. I'm grabbing it. I'm seizing it. I'm pressing on. Paul's saying, that's not what I'm wanting to do in the flesh. In the flesh, I'm like, man, I preached the gospel where I've written all these letters. I am going to retire for the last 10 years of my ministry here. I, I would love to go and just fly under the radar and, and stop the pressure, stop the persecution, stop the suffering. You know, just go to Nero and, and just sort of, you know, be a politician and not really answer the questions and, and, and go, yeah, you're not guilty. Get out of here. That's, that's my inclination like everybody's inclination, isn't it? But he said, I can't do that. I need to continue to follow after, pursue, press on, grab a hold. As Jesus said, no man could put his hand to the plow and then look backwards and ever be fit for the kingdom. Paul says, if I let go of the plow, <laughs> then I'm never gonna be doing all that God wants me to do. The next, he says, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Again, this word lay hold is a very strong word. Catalambano. I love saying that. Catalambano. This sounds cool. Catalambano means to seize, once again, with the strongest possible language, to pull it down to himself and grab onto it. So Paul, if you put those together, I press on and then I grab a hold. It's literally redundant. You cannot get more passionate, guys, in saying this. You know, we can use those kind of words. I wanted to grab that thing and, and grind it into powder, put his face in the dust. I want to, we, we can talk like that, right? This is what Paul is saying. It's like, in today's terms, it would be getting tackled. I, I know when I played football, the coach would just get us going, going, no, we don't tackle here. We, we're going to get that guy and grind him into the dirt. He's dust when you get up. And boy, that really helped you. Because <laughs> so often, you know, oh, tackle, oh, he got away. No, we're not just tackling. We're going to make that guy pay for touching that ball. He's going to wish he never had that football. This is what Paul is saying, this exact type of mentality. So Paul began this verse with the idea that Christ Jesus has laid a hold of him. So Christ has laid a hold of me with this same kind of passion. Isn't that wonderful? Do you, do you feel that way, that God really grabbed a hold of you? He pulled you out of that miry clay. He pulled you out of that, that ocean in which you were drowning. He, and, and he's grabbed a hold of you and he's never letting you go. All to come into me. I grab a hold of them and I never let them go. They shall not perish. They shall have eternal life. All who come into me, my Father grabs them and he's greater than all and we never let them go. Go back and look at those verses. 
It is so clear and so passionate. It wasn't like, ah, here's another guy. What's that number? Five, seven, nine, five. Can you remember that? Okay, come on in. It's personal. It's passionate. It's full of love. Jesus on the cross didn't say, ah, you know, I'm sort of tired and hurting right now, but I, I guess let a few of these guys go to heaven. Still sort of mad at that guy for poking me while I go, No, it was passionate. Father, passionately full of love. Forgive them. They know not what they do. And indeed, the Father does forgive all who will believe on Jesus. Paul is now saying, with the same attitude back unto Jesus, I now want to lay a hold of him as he has laid a hold of me. And part of laying a hold of me was not just to go to heaven. A big part of God grabbing a hold of me was good works that I can do here on earth before I go to heaven. Life is just a vapor, isn't it, guys? It's not like God's saying, okay, for the next 10 billion years, you're going to suffer. We're going to suffer even if it was 70 years. That's 25,550 days. It's nothing. You can't even buy a car for that much money if it were dollars. Now, since Putin, Putin, Putin drove all the prices up on all the cars. <laughs> no, the fact is, is that, that he grabbed a hold of us and he's supernaturally predestined good works that we would walk in. As it says in Ephesians 2.10, and Paul knows that. And he is saying, that's, I want to say everything that God grabbed a hold of me to say, lacking nothing. I want to do everything God would have me to do, lacking nothing. I want to hug everyone I was supposed to hug, kiss everybody I was supposed to kiss, wash every foot I was supposed to wash, speak the gospel to everybody I was supposed to speak the gospel, lacking none. I think we're going to get to heaven and we're going to watch the video. And I think all of us are going to probably have this, at least for a period of our life. We, we went through so many things just because we didn't ask. God's like, if you just ask, I would have answered this prayer and this would have happened. But we didn't receive because we didn't ask. Man, had you shared the gospel with that guy, he would have believed. It's crazy to come to that place to realize our life is so short, guys. I mean, I'll say it again right now. I've said this every year of the 40 years I've pastored now. A lot of us, or some of us, won't make it to 2023. That's the truth. I've said this in small groups like this, and I've said it in huge groups. And of course, I've said it, and my own son died in January 20th, a few years back. When I said it, it was... Speaking to my own 21-year-old son, I had no idea. He had but a few days left to grab a hold of what God had grabbed a hold of him for. But even, like I said, even if you lived another 100 years, it's still just a vapor of time, especially compared to eternity. So I've been, I've been struggling a little bit with meditating on revelations about the lukewarm church. And you know 
Paul talking to the church of Laodicea about being lukewarm. And I just can't picture our Jesus so full of love, so full of grace and kindness and mercy, saying to the church of Laodicea, his bride, he's engaged to this gal, the church. He's going to be getting married <laughs> at the rapture. We get married in heaven, the seven uh, years of marriage feast in heaven. We as the church. And he says to me, I'd rather be hot or cold, but lukewarm, I want to vomit. I just, I can't imagine Jesus saying that. But yet at the same time, I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you truly love somebody, maybe even romantically when you were in your teens or whatever, and, and you told them, you know, I love them, and, and you give them a big hug passionately, and they don't really hug you back. They're just sort of stiff, going, yeah, you're okay too. And you quit, they quit hugging you, or you quit hugging them, and, and then you sort of back up a little bit, saying, I'll see you later. That, that, that just knifes you in the heart, doesn't it? Cheryl hasn't done that to me for a couple of weeks, but that's, <laughs> that's another story. But in all seriousness, lukewarmness is not something the Lord appreciates whatsoever. It is repulsive. Well, going on to verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself as apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. So I have calculated out, I've never really 100% lived the life that Christ wants me to live. I may have at some point been fruitful up to 80%, but never 100%. I, I know that myself came in and my fleshly appetites and my struggles with various sins of anger and greed or bitterness or whatever it is, but I, I, I've never done that. But my goal is that I would get to that place. And then he says one thing, but it really has two parts. The one thing he said I, I realize is I got to let go of the past and I got to keep my eye on the goal line. It's like the tape in a race. I need to be running harder as I'm heading to that tape. As I realize my life is coming to an end, my, my tendency is just like, okay, take a, take a break. You've done your stuff. Retire. You understand nobody retires as a Christian. Matter of fact, some of the most fruitful things that have ever happened in men's lives for the kingdom of God didn't even start until they were 80, like Moses, right? And many others. The fact is, is those, those can be the most fruitful times of our life because of this season in our life, we're not attached to so many things. We're alone more. We have more independence as an elderly person often and the maturity in Christ. Maturity as a human being, but in church, maturity in Christ even more so. And so Paul says, it's, it's that. It's getting to that place I'm not glorying in the past or regretting the past. You know, for some people, they're paralyzed 
because they have so many dark, deep valleys of hurt, of rejection, of regret. For some people, they had a season on drugs and they said horrible things to their family and did horrible things. And they look back with such regret that Satan just pounds them and pounds them and they can, they can barely get out of bed because of such deep sorrow of regret. And there's other people who say, man, the glory days are behind me. And the victories I had, man, I used to go to the mission field. I used to preach the gospel. I used to. And, and Paul is saying, I, I got to let go of the past. For Paul, it was probably a lot of victories. He'd started a lot of churches. Thousands, if not tens of thousands of people came to Christ through his preaching. But he's like, it doesn't help me to reach the goal. I mean, the guy in the marathon run doesn't say, well, I've run 18 miles really, really well. That's really what matters. <laughs> doesn't work that way, does it? You got to finish the race. There's two halves to the game. Have you ever seen a football team be like 30 points ahead at the, at the half and lose the game? Man, it's that psychological disadvantage, isn't it? Going, man, we don't even have to try that hard the second half because we're so far ahead. But man, they'll take advantage of that. In the same way, Paul is saying, I, I, I can't be paralyzed. If, if that's the regrets, you just got to say Jeremiah 31, 34, God has forgiven and forgotten our sins. And I need to as well. And then pressing forward, Isaiah 43. I think this is a word of the Lord for some of you here today. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God is doing a new thing. Moses was 80 years old and he was done with his life, right? <laughs> he was done. 40 years just watching sheep, he was going to die watching another man's sheep. And God had to shake him. No, you're going to Egypt. No, 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 can't do it, can't do it. Not me. I'm just going to stay out here in Saudi Arabia in the middle of the desert watching sheep. That's, that's my lot. I tried to get on fire for the Lord back when I was 40, and that, whew, that turned out really nasty. I'm not going to do that again. Verse 14, so Paul says, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The goal, the, old, the King James translates it, the mark, again, the tape at the end of the race. I'm pressing, there it is again, running swiftly to grab and to catch the prize, the, the Olympic medal. I want to get the Olympic medal at the end. I want the gold. And, and therefore, I'm I'm doing this according to the upward call. The word call is invitation. God has given me an invitation. Do you guys remember the invitation, Ephesians 2.10? You are my work of art, poema. I've created you in Christ Jesus for good works that you should walk in. Didn't say you are. That decision's up to you every single day, whether you do it or not but I'm stretching out. I'm reaching for it. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to slow down. I'm not going to back off. Clark in his commentary says this, the Greek word points out a strong exertion made in the race, 
Every muscle and nerve is exerted and he puts forth every particle of his strength in running. He was running for his life, running for his, and running for his life, running towards his life and for his life. David Guzik says, we often let those things which are behind distract us, whether they be good things or bad things. Looking at what's in the past often keeps us from what God has for us in the future. But understand this, it has to be in the present. The power of it is right now. I'm running. I'm not, it's not about getting the prize. I am running in such a way that I am going to be proud of myself when I finally get to the finish line. That has only happens in the present. You, sometimes the past, sometimes the future can even mess you up. But living for Christ is today. So you, you, can't, you, you, know, you can't say, okay, God, I'm going to sit down right now and pray for all the food I'm ever going to eat the rest of my life on earth. <laughs> Amen. I never have to pray for my food again. Does it work that way? I'm going to get a phone book. I don't think they exist anymore, but pretending. Uh, and just say, I pray for every single person here in our city. Here's the one phone book. Next city. Come on over here. I'm praying for the world. It, it just doesn't work that way, does it? Christianity has lived in the present. It's not about what God spoke to me through the word today. It's about the fresh manna. I got to go get the manna for today. What's God speaking today? It's not about all the prayers God's answered in the past. It's about the prayers that need to be answered now. Isn't it great? It's just simple. Sheep have the greatest lives, right? They just come out of the pig or come out of the pen and cruise around, eat a little grass, keep an eye on the shepherd. You know, maybe hustle over and get at his hills there and go get some water, cruise around, enjoy nature, go back home. That's us. We're just enjoying Jesus, enjoying the food, the word of God, enjoying prayer, enjoying one another. And really so little effort God has put into Christianity. We're not like the Buddhists that got to wear the orange robes and shave our head and crawl up a thousand flights of stairs and hit a big bong and burn some candles and, you know, and, and we're not like the Sikhs that got to carry our rug around and, and have our beads on us and, and have a big ponytail in the back and roll out the thing and sit there and chant several times a day. We're not like the Muslims that got to do all these aesthetic things of praying towards the east on a rug in a group and say all these repeated prayers. What has he required of you, oh man? He says, don't forsake the gathering together, the brethren. Why? Because we need a bigger church. For your own soul, man. The fire's got to get with the fire. What does he ask you? Just pray about everything, worry about nothing. He's so mean. Christianity is so hard. God wants me to pray about everything, not worry about anything. Man, he's such a taskmaster. Just study the word. Meditate in it. Pray without ceasing. Meditate in the word. Be a light and a salt. Love people. Serve people. Put everybody's interest before your own. Here's, here's the great commandment. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to turn it into a little rule, there's the rule. 
But then James says true religion is taking care of widows and orphans in their need. If you look at it, it flows. This is one of the reasons that Francis Schaeffer, when he was trying to figure out which religions were right, he knew that the God who made nature, that it would flow. Whatever worship to that God, it would flow with nature. It wouldn't come out of nature to serve God. So Jehovah Witnesses, you got to get a suit, you got to get a briefcase. Every Saturday, you got to walk around, knock on doors. It's like you have to come out of nature. To be a Buddhist or a Muslim or Hindu, you got to be totally different than society. But in Christianity, we're just living life like everybody else. But behind the scenes is his heart crying out to God. Behind the scenes, I'm meditating on the word. How do I look at work? I look just like everybody else. But yeah, what comes out of my mouth is wise and full of the spirit. What I do is putting others first and it becomes visible and it becomes a salt and it becomes a light. And, and all he asks, it's so little. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, which is what? Learn of me. There it is. It's a big yoke. But my yoke is easy and, my, and the burden is light. And by carrying that yoke, you'll find great rest for your souls. We are in a time and a season, guys, that's unparalleled in Christian history. The passion for Christ worldwide has burned out. It was already burned out before the COVID. But now that people went a year or two without going to church, without seeking the Lord, they're saying, wow, my life's the same. I didn't go to church three times a year. I thought I needed to go to church three or four or five times a year, but I don't need to because I didn't do it for two years and I'm the same. I don't love God more. I don't love God less. I don't know more. I don't know less. I'm the same person. I have learned that I can be a Christian without ever going to church, without ever praying, without ever reading the Bible. I'm the same. And it's like, yeah, you are the same <laughs> before you were deceived into thinking that you needed to do a religious thing four or five times a year. But that was never what God asked you to do. He asked you to seek him first every day, put him first every week in your life, in loving him, in your finances, in your time. And, and here the Lord asks us so little, but yet we see the world around us. And the Bible says in the last days an apostasy will come. Many who are in the church disband and a great falling away and they begin receiving the, the doctrines of the world. Well, finishing up here, verse 15 and 16 may be the two most important verses here. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. And if any one think Otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. So he's saying everybody who's a mature Christian is going to think this way, like I'm thinking. I'm communicating what every on-fire Christian thinks. But if you're not thinking in this way, God's going to give you apocalypto, a revelation. That's the same word as the book of Revelation. And God will hopefully reveal this to you. Our life is in a constant flux. We're on a roller coaster, highs and lows. But when we hit the lows, 
We don't want to become sluggish or lukewarm. Paul writing to these Christians wanting to go back to Judaism in Hebrews 6, verse 10 through 12. For God did not, is not unjust to forget your work of, and your labor of love with which you shone towards his name, that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Listen to verse 11 to 12 now of Hebrews 6. We desire that each of you should show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promise. People are just saying, oh, I only have six miles left in the marathon. I'll just take it easy. And Paul goes from saying to be this pursuer to at least walk in verse 16. Nevertheless, in the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. So he said, hey, if you can't pursue like you should, like a mature, on fire, passionate Christian would, well, at least walk. Don't stand still. Because the river's flowing in the opposite direction. If you don't paddle at least a little bit, enough to stay where you're at, you're going to get taken down the, the stream of fruitlessness, not losing your salvation by any means, but not being the fruitful Christian God has predestined that you would walk in. So, to at least that same degree, walk. And then he said again, once again, many times he said it here in Philippians, be of the same mind. Remember in Philippians 2.2, 2, fulfill my joy being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, Lord, we thank you for your word today. And we do know that you are speaking to many here who are having a hard time finding diligence day by day in seeking you, praying to use, reading the word, even if it's for a minute, they're having a, a hard time, they're sluggish. We know part of it's the spirit of this age. We know a part of it is just the attack of Satan, just trying to wound and weaken and, and uh, hinder every Christian from being crazy, uh, crazily on fire for you, walking in that resurrection power. Lord, we come and we say, Lord, I'm willing. Give me grace, Lord, to walk as you walked. And it's suffering as we put everybody else first. As we say, everybody enters before our own interests. There's great suffering in just that for us and our flesh in this world, getting the short end of the stick. But Lord, we just come right now and ask that you do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think. As this message goes into our hearts, into our minds, if you're here today or you're listening online or maybe in the future you listen to this message and you have not believed on Christ, then just do it. I believe in you, Jesus. You bore my sins on the cross. You died and were buried and rose again for my, my salvation. I receive you. I believe in you. I trust in you. Whatever it is, be my Savior. And there may be many of you right now are finding yourself lukewarm or sluggish your, your, your brain says, well, why read the Bible? And you're like, yeah, why read the Bible? I, I agree. <laughs> why go to church every week? I, I can go once a month and it's equally as good. I've got great excuses. I could open my mouth and share the Lord, but I don't think they're interested in any way. It's just going to turn out bad. I, I'll just keep my mouth shut. There's many, Lord, here that have just 
talk to themselves and, and talk themselves into a lukewarm place, into a sluggish place. Let us now walk in diligence, Lord. Let us walk after you as you walked, following your example to the very end until we can say it is finished. Let the word of God go forth this morning and heal all of us. Heal all the backsliding in all our hearts, Lord. Cleanse all of us from our lukewarmness. Cleanse all of us from our sluggishness that we can walk in absolute fruitfulness to apprehend, to grab a hold of what you grabbed a hold of us for. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen, amen and amen.